Hey everybody, welcome to the latest episode of Bound in Context. I'm your host, Ryan Schraver, CTO of Singlestone. And today I'm welcoming the program, Clark Ching, better known as the Bottleneck Guy. Clark, welcome to the program. Hey Ryan, it's lovely to be talking to you again. Again, <laughs> After yes. After a long time. Hey, hey Clark, so we're both in Richmond, as I, as I just learned. We're in Richmond, Virginia, and where are you coming in from? Richmond, New Zealand. How about that? Halfway around the world. Pretty cool. So, yeah, welcome to the program. So, so Clark, for our audience, why don't you give us a bit about your background and, and, and introduce yourself to our audience. Okay, so my thing is uh, Agile plus the theory of constraints. But if I had to choose between the two, um, I would have theory of constraints because I can and have derived Agile uh, based on knowing the theory of constraints. So I, I started doing theory of constraints uh, back in the mid-90s when I read Ellie Goldratt's uh, business novel, the goal, uh, and that was in about 96, I think. And then I've spent uh, the last almost 25 years uh, uh, figuring out how to um, first understand it uh, and then teach it to others and then apply it uh, in software development in, in, in particular. But but what I found is that um, with the theory of constraints uh, approach and, and, and its mix of insights and problem solving um, tools that I've actually been able to help other people solve problems in areas that have nothing to do with uh, software development. And, and so if I can just um, uh, sh show you my books, this is uh, Rolling Rock Sandhill, which was um, a business novel, nice big thick business novel. Yes. It's an unusual thing and it's a business novel that actually people quite enjoy reading. I spent an awful long time uh, writing it and, and making it so it's actually readable. Um, and that, that's about effectively using theory constraints and link to discover what we call agile. Um, but the characters in the book uh, didn't know that. They just had problems to solve. And then more recently, um, I've done this one here. Where are we there? The bottleneck rules, uh, which is it, it's like um, advanced theory of constraints, but for absolute beginners. So there's some quite advanced stuff here that theory constraints people who've been doing it for years read and go, oh, I, I like that. That's useful. Hadn't thought of that. But it's written um, so 12-year-olds can read it uh, and apply it. And and, and my daughter, uh, who when when I first uh, started editing this, um, I got her to be my, uh, you know, my 12-year-old proof uh, reader, my, my my test, if you like. And and it's really really easy to read. It, it's um, I, I got to boast about this, but it's been um, featured in the Guardian newspaper in the UK. Um, uh, it's been featured in the Spectator magazine. Um, and just for a few days after Barbara Oakley, who did that um, online MOOC um, uh, about how to learn, uh, she mentioned it in a newsletter and recommended it. And suddenly it shot up and it was the second best-selling leadership book just behind Stephen Covey uh, for oh. two, three, four days. And, and so that, that was very exciting. Uh, so yeah, that, 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 that's my pride and joy. That's my baby. Yeah. So designed for 12 year olds. So executives is what I'm getting. It is a, it's a, a good audience for you to book that. Exactly. Or oh, if you'd like to put it another way, um, people who are sick of being bamboozled by big words. So, that, so that's it. Um, I, before this came, um, you know, effectively much more textbook style, uh, but part of the, Part of the this is just little stories. So yeah. people read stories, and stories are like uh, 
uh, Trojan horses, you know, except they're, they're um, virtuous ones. They're, they've got good ideas in them. And, and, and when you tell someone a story, the ideas sneak into their head. Uh, so, so I, I think the, the, the value that I've added to, to the TOC community is that I have simplified it a lot. And a lot of that just, just um, comes from uh, grabbing the essence of, of stuff and then telling a story. And then once you get this idea and you take it out of your head, and pop it in someone else's head, they get to do all the hard work with it. Um, you know, that, that's my approach. That's awesome. So I imagine some of our audience knows about theory constraints, but maybe for those that aren't familiar with, maybe you can briefly introduce the, the, the concept and, you know, and then basically maybe talk about it's as you go into solve problems, how do you pull from theory constraints as you kind of approach problem solving? Okay, cool. So uh, the theory of constraints um, at, at its most simple level is the idea that in any system, you know, a business, a workplace, a family, a home, a, a, a traffic system, there's one point uh, in the system or one rule in the system, uh, a, a bottleneck that, that's slowing everything down. So I'm sure as people are watching, listening to this, um, they, they can imagine their own uh, traffic system and they're, they're having to, well, in the old days, you know, they're having to drive to work uh, and there would, there'd be a great big pile of cars you know up in front of them uh, and you'd be sitting there wishing that the car in front of you would go faster but it can't because the car in front of it can't go faster can't go faster and you look way ahead and there's a, a, a bottleneck in the traffic system say you, you know a point where traffic's merging uh, and if that if everyone's merging at say uh, 10 miles an hour um, then it doesn't matter that you can go 60 miles 100 miles an hour uh, 200 miles an hour in your car the whole system's limited to the speed of the bottleneck. And, and so that, that's the, the key idea uh, in the theory constraints, that, that where it came from in manufacturing is that inside a factory, there's one narrowest point, one bottleneck that limits the entire output um, of, of the factory. So if you take that idea, though, and um, you, you 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 take it beyond factories. Same thing applies in hospitals. Uh, it, I've got some lovely examples of doctors that uh, that do this. Um, uh, it, it applies in retail um, situations, uh, as we discovered with COVID. It, it applies uh, when you have testing and big long queues. Um, so I worked a little bit with um, uh, an Australian uh, group that were. Uh, they couldn't get through the test fast enough. Um, you find the bottleneck, you speed it up, everything goes faster. It works in um, everywhere, especially it works in software development. Uh, and that's where I have kind of, that's my speciality. You take that idea and you look and go, where's the bottleneck? And th there's a funny thing that's not obvious about bottlenecks, but there are good places to have a bottleneck because you're always going to have one. And there are bad places. Um, so if they're in a good place, uh, then they become like a control point, um, and that's awesome. Uh, but if they're in a bad place, often uh, they cause a lot of stress, they cause a lot of rework, uh, they cause a lot of hassle. So to, to, to what I do when I help people is I help them find their bottleneck. And, and, but first, you help them see the bottleneck because people can't see bottlenecks and they attribute all sorts of things um, to 
um, different causes other than the bottleneck. They, so they don't blame the bottleneck because they don't know about it. So the first step is go, hey, look, this is what bottlenecks look like. This, they cause queues, they cause buildups. Where's yours? You go through a little bit of a process and you figure out and you go, oh, okay, it's there. Okay, cool. That's good. Let's start managing it because what you almost always find is that the um, the, the, the team, the workplace, the factory, the hospital is trying to push people through faster than the bottleneck can cope with. Um, and that causes a whole lot of uh, people cut corners to try and um, speed up if they're at the bottleneck. Uh, if they're trying to feed people um, work to keep them busy, uh, they, they might just not do such a good job and that causes rework later. Uh, so, so bottlenecks, once people get them and they start looking around, what they realise that a lot of the problems that they haven't been able to solve have I actually coincidentally just have a light bulb I'm supposed to re replace yeah. once they've got the light bulb um uh that, that was good timing uh, once yeah. they've got the light bulb idea in their head the bottlenecks exist and they can suddenly see them they, they suddenly understand why a lot of things are happening um and why the things that they previously weren't doing um haven't been making it uh better so so that's that, that's the bottleneck angle yeah interesting so so when you come in so it sounds like almost sort of step one is probably picking a, a, a process or a flow or, or, or something like mm -hmm. that. And then the, the, you hone in on sort of the bottleneck and I guess you help them see it and visualize it. What do you do after that? Like how, how do you help them? Once they recognize it, how do you help them? Cool. So it, 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 um, actually there's another bit to this that is, okay. um, there's another thinking kind of tool. So if you've got the idea of bottleneck, that's an insight. Aha. Bottlenecks exist. Yeah, yeah. By the way, carry I that around with me. you're the best guest, by the way, for a visual uh, cue. So, so yeah. I, I really like this. That's really cool. I like that little guy. <laughs> um, uh, so, so, so one thing is you've got the bottleneck. So that's one insight. Um, there, there's another uh, insight that is kind of a, that part two of TOC. And I'll, I'll come back and answer your question in a sec. It, it, it's the insight um, that. If people are complaining and they're stressed uh, and things aren't going well and people are unhappy and there's a whole lot of negative things going on, then they usually have one common root cause. Sometimes it's a bottleneck. So if you think about it, um, if you have a cold, a common cold, just an ordinary old fashioned cold, right? Um, you, you know the symptoms. Uh, you, you know, you've got a runny nose, you've got um, maybe blocked ears, sore throat, maybe you feel tired. If you get those, uh, one of the really, really clever things that Ellie Goldratt did is come up with some cause and effect diagrams um, that are kind of like uh, the, they're like the five whys um, uh, or one of the systems thinking loops, but on steroids. And, and what they help you do is take these collections of things and draw cause and effect arrows um, up to them and find a root cause. Uh, and, and so I mix these two things. One, one thing is that you walk in somewhere and they don't know about bottlenecks, then, uh, they, then a lot of their problems will be, they have a bottleneck and a lot of their problems will be caused by the bottleneck. Um, so, so we work with that. But then we connect up um, and, and we look at the things that they're complaining about and try and find a deep root cause for that and Goldratt had a bunch of really amazing tools um, for, for, for helping people uh, figure out how to do that. So the input is symptoms, uh, the output is uh, a, a root cause and the, the logical cause and effect that causes those symptoms.
That makes a lot of sense. And, and speaking of influences, obviously Ellie has been a Ellie Go Rapper that has been a big influence to you. Maybe you can tell our audience, someone maybe or him, but maybe you tell a little about how he's connected to um, theory constraints. Okay, so he's the father of the um, the, the theory of constraints. He, he in the seventies, um, he was working uh, on a physics doctorate, um, I think in Holland, and he was studying the flow of uh, liquid, but from a physics point of view, he just wasn't opening a tap and just studying it. Oh, that's interesting. He was actually going and looking at the, the deep yeah. physics of it. And he stumbled across this really obvious idea um, that bottlenecks limit the flow of um, any system, and, and that you can only really have very few bottlenecks in the system, probably on, only one. So he took this idea and then coincidentally, he had, um, it, it was a relative of his and, and no one talks about this anymore because his first foray into this was a disaster. Uh -huh. He went and looked at this relative's um, chicken coop making factory, I, th I think it was, and he looked in it and he realized that they had a bottleneck in it and he just sort of married this very deep um, physics kind of thing with this real world problem. There's, there's a bottleneck. Uh, so he resolved the bottleneck. They, they figured out, oh, if we just hired one more person, put them there, um, this, this factory will suddenly be able to produce a whole lot more. But um, he, he ended up ruining that business um, by accident because they hired one person, they increased their output enormously, but they didn't have anywhere to sell the stuff. Um, so he learned from this, he went on, and eventually he wrote this book, uh, The Goal, uh, which is the, this business novel. And, and the goal explains about bottlenecks, but it also explains an awful lot about measurement systems, which makes it sound boring, but it's surprising uh, how much good flow uh, is ruined by bad managed measurement systems. Uh, and then he went on to uh, apply the same sort of thinking style that he had to project management and came up with critical chain, um, which is a, a is a variation on critical path project management. Mm -hmm. And uh, in the software development world, uh, you need to combine those two worlds. You need to combine the concepts, but not necessarily the practices of critical chain project management with the bottleneck management stuff. And, and suddenly you can um, not only deliver stuff a lot faster, but you can also deliver it on time. So, so that's really um, clever. But the other bit that he did is he realized uh, at one stage that he'd given away a lot of his, his goodies. He told people about bottlenecks, they figured out how to manage them. Um, they weren't buying the software that was supposed to do that. So he sat down and thought, well, I think about things a bit differently. And part of that's because I'm a physicist. I solve problems differently. And he goes, what do I do that's different? So he sat down and he came up with this, um, this set of tools, um, one of which is the cause and effect stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, and the other one is a tool called the evaporating cloud. And there's, a, there's, there's more than that. But uh, these two to start with, to look at problems. Um, and he discovered that 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 um, he solved difficult problems by finding dilemmas or, or conflicts uh, in a situation and figuring out what was paralyzing um, people. And I can talk about that uh, in a minute, um, if you like. But um, he, he came up with this stuff and uh, then he passed away about 10 years ago. Um, and he, it, it, the theory of constraints has uh, been kind of, it's kind of faded a bit because you didn't have this one guy driving it. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, it's spread out. The, the DevOps guys have kind of latched onto it. Though 
yeah. the, the understanding, um, you, you know, it's kind of like 101, which is it's, it's really, really good because people understand it. Uh, Kanban is based on um, theory yes. constraints. Um, 100%. So David Anderson and I have been friends for a very long time. Uh, and I think I hosted his first Kanban uh, session. Um, oh, gosh, a long time ago. But um, there's, there's a whole lot of it there. And TOC has, uh, it, it kind of lives on. And but, but some of the stuff has is, is kind of been lost um, because you have to have this one guy that's driving it. Yeah, Long yeah, answer, no, short no, question. No, 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 it's, it's awesome because the goal is super influential in my, my journey. I think I came upon him in around 2000 and I was watching mm -hmm. some webinar online and they interviewed him and he just went off script like 30 seconds in and he just started going in it. And I was like, who is this crazy dude? And also <laughs> I, I realized and so I bought his book and I was just floored because I won. I'd never read a quote unquote business novel before that mm. concept, the, the way that was unique. You know, Herbie and yeah. the story and that sort of stuff. And then as a software engineer background, I equated to like processes and threads and performance too. Like yeah. all of that, like a lot of what he described is once you have it, you can export it, you can have more. Like a lot of that is a systems engineer. It just made sense. You know, and, yeah. and it's like there's always this, and I tell my customers, there's a single performance bottleneck in your entire system, right? You gotta That's find it. the one and and, yep. when, and it's always there and it moves, right? Mm. In a way, it moves. But you gotta solve for, I need more memory. I had more memory. Okay, now I'm do this. And so it's been super influential to me. What was what was interesting is you read it in the nineties and then did you see that and say, were you a software person? It's like, ah, software? Like how did you connect the manufacturing story of the goal with with software development? Very difficultly. Um, because remember back then, no one had heard of Agile. Yeah, um, this is kind of pretty agile. If you're working on uh, software projects, actually, if you were working in, say, a, 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 um, a support team or a, a small buck fixing team, you've got a product and you're just, you know, adding little enhancements or medium-sized enhancements, um, or you're fixing bugs, you know, which is a mode that a lot of us said, that was actually really agile. I, I was lucky in my first job uh, in 1992, working on COBOL uh, that was older than I was, and I was 22 <laughs> years old. Uh, that was the most agile team I have ever worked in, ever. Uh, and, and that surprises people. Um, but that was the nature of the work. It, it flowed in um, uh, and then it flowed out. Uh, you, you did something. You didn't bundle it up with a whole lot of other things. Uh, you just made fixes and enhancements. And so that, that, that's very iterative and um, very incremental. It's only when you bundle the stuff in, up, up into have a, a waterfall uh, approach where you suddenly you've got people doing – a whole lot of, um, say, uh, re requirements gathering. Yeah. Uh, and then you've got a whole lot of people doing design. You know, there's a bit of overlap between them. Then you've got a whole lot of people doing coding. And then you've got a whole lot of people doing testing. The, the, the bottleneck there gets, um, it, it depends on what they're doing. Uh, it, it, it's it's going to be your customer in the early days. Um, and when you're coding, the, the bottleneck is going to be your, your, your developer. Uh, skills probably uh, and in testing um, it's only case where it actually gets iterative and incremental so I w w when I started doing my MBA research I thought well this is in 2002 2003 and I just stumbled across agile and I was doing my MBA and I knew well look, I'm going to do I'm going to apply the theory constraints um, with these little light bulbs that I'm getting here uh, from um, the, the agile my agile friends uh, and 
I started combining those two. And I realized that the problem uh, that I was trying to solve for couldn't be solved while you had this big waterfall um, approach. It was a big batch system. So if you have a big batch system in a factory, um, you have lots of whip, uh, you've got lots of stuff stuck inside it, the bottleneck will move according to, you just don't work that way in, in factories, you have small batches. So that, that was the, the key insight um, of applying TOC uh, was that you need to switch to agile uh, or iterative and incremental software development, and then you can find your bottleneck. And, and, and when you do that, um, suddenly uh, everything gets simpler. Um, so, so, so that that was it. M my insight um, came from Mary Poppendick's first uh, agile book, Lean Software Development. Yes. Uh, I, I read it, and, and 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 I can't remember what the exact wording was, but I came loaded with all of this uh, knowledge. I read one sentence in the preface of her um, book in an early draft and I go that was my light bulb moment oh, I get it now I know why why waterfall doesn't work uh and suddenly everything fell into place but the funny thing is that um that sentence didn't make it into the final book so it, it's lost it's lost forever well I was talking to a friend Paul Laval and Mary and Tom were very instrumental in my career early on and what was interesting for, for, for them is if you talk about their constraints you know lean didn't really have anything to do with it but they're like peanut butter and jelly it felt like like once i discovered first off and then the lean and you're out of inching kanban then a lot of the fear constraints made sense but it wasn't in, yep. in early the vocabulary that the, i call them the agile guys the, the, the scrum sort of the software folks it really really wasn't in their vocabulary no um, i think there was a wee bit of it circling around um, but most of them had come to what now seems obvious you know, work in small batches. Yeah. They had come to that way, just they just figured it out by doing it. And, and of course, they had lots of influences and stuff. And, and I know a lot of them had actually read the goal, um, but the, the, it disappoints me. And, and this is my kind of, you know, my, my mission. Yeah. Uh, my purpose is to try and inject the theory constraints back into the agile community. Um, when David did Kanban, uh, he did uh the, the two bits that um uh, in we have the silly name for a the, the the mechanism that you use to to um run uh systems or teams or, or factories uh using the theory constraints way um which is called drum buffer rope uh it doesn't matter what they are but the drum is uh is the bottleneck and and um the, the 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 buffer is a pile of work that sits in front of it, so the bottleneck doesn't uh, run out of work, and the rope is just a, a, the thing that says just only release work in um, at the speed of the bottleneck. Um, otherwise, you have too much whip. Uh, so it's a, a whip limiter. And and when David put together Kanban, he was trying to differentiate it from TOC, um, and he kind of took out the. The drum bit, uh, but he had the buffer and the rope bit, um, which were all around managing whip. And that was absolute genius because it made it a whole lot easier for people to get started and make really good progress um, without having to understand all this bottleneck stuff. Uh, so, so I'm now trying to just add that in, um, you know, pu push it back in because a lot of the um, stuff that came out um, – that, that a lot of the stuff that can ban people think about bottlenecks is wrong. Like your, your bottleneck shouldn't in a software development process, it shouldn't um, 
wander around all over the place if you're trying to make money uh, because um, it, that, that, it's, it's, not, it's a good way of keeping people busy, um, yeah. but it's not a good way of making money. Yeah, no, it's, I, I lived through the whole Kanban scrum wars and, you know, I, I, I literally had a client the other day that I'm talking to and they're like, we're looking at Agile, but we like Kanban or Kanban and, and it was not, not scrum. And, and on, on the one hand, I, I chuckle a little bit because given where they are, like anything would probably help, but I go with it, right? Yeah. You know, like this, you want to do Kanban, do, we'll do Kanban. That's fine. You want to do scrum, we'll do scrum. That doesn't matter. They're, they're, I've learned there's strength and weaknesses. In, in each model, but they can yes. both be applied and work. Oh, yep, so. and they can both be applied at the same time. Yeah. Uh, it, it's like everything oh. that we get here. <laughs> if you buy, you imagine you go out and you buy a McDonald's franchise and, and, and you've just bought a franchise, uh, you've got the instruction manual here, how to run this. Um, and, and rule number one is don't deviate from the instruction manual because they know how to do this stuff. So if you're trying to buy a development methodology, um, you, you go buy one. It's a hard decision. Do I buy McDonald's or Scrum or, and I don't mean that in a demeaning way. It, it's just, yeah. um, it, it's just you, you grab effectively a, a product that, that, that is easy to grab the, the operating instructions um, and, and learn how to use it. Um, if you get anywhere uh, apart from the most simple situations in software development, um, you need to buy, invest in some uh, pre-existing processes and thoughts and, you know, but buy a franchise, but buy Scrum Master training, um, buy Kanban training. So you get the basics. But then because software development is situational um, and every situation is different uh, and every situation is exactly the same and also incredibly nuanced, <laughs> yeah. um, the bit that you have to add on to it uh, is the thinking. So, so you adopt, but then you adapt. Uh, and you can't adapt well if you don't have the thinking uh, in place. You can adapt uh, lazily. You can go, oh, we'll do Scrum, but we won't do this bit about, um, I, I don't, uh, what, what, we don't like that ceremony. Um, we won't do retrospectives or, or yeah. you know, as a silly example. Um, or we'll, we'll, we'll have all the whiteboards. We might have the whiteboards, but this whole bit about building potentially shippable software, oh, that's a bit tricky. So if you adopt it, um, uh, but then you um, cherry pick it to lose the stuff that makes it work because that's the hard stuff. It's not going to work very well. Um, same with Kanban. But what I'm saying is you adopt it. You then need to understand it and you need to think about it. Uh, and then you need to adapt it to fit into your situation. Um, so adopt, think, adapt. Awesome. You made it sound so simple, but it really requires heavy thinking. Oh, it does. <laughs> yeah. yeah, thinking no, is no, hard no. work. I have some clients like, just tell me where to go and what to do. It's like, no, 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 you got to think about these sort of things. You really got to think about them. So, um, so you mentioned this, the, 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 the corkscrew thing. It intrigued my interest. Like, tell, tell us a bit about that. What, what is that? Oh, the, the course? Um, yeah, okay. yeah. Cool. So um, hidden inside the course is the most obvious thing once you've learned it and spent about three years um, uh, mulling over it. Um, but it, it, sorry, I'll, I'll step back a little bit. The course essentially is um, you're already doing agile. Um, now let's go faster um, uh, and in the right direction using the theory constraints. So it's the bottle. It, it's it's the bottleneck rules book. Um, but applied 
to agile software development teams. Um, and it's it's the um, it really is around this idea of hey, look, if you have a bottleneck and you don't know it, then it's managing you. Um, you don't know it, but a lot of the problems you have, um, you, you don't realize it. So this is how to apply the thinking from the goal um, that was applied to factories and to software development. So that, that, that's basically if it was um, the goal uh, for software development on a book, uh, that, that would be um, the title, though there might be IP issues with that. I, I don't know. Um, so, so, so that's a bit the secret that's inside it. And this bit that's really, really, really absolutely unobvious until it's obvious. And then it takes even longer till it sinks in. You go, oh, my goodness, that's right, is the idea that um, – you will have a bottleneck in your software development system. And in 99.5% of cases, it should be the developer or the developer resource, the, the generic developer. So if you were to say, um, so, so, so the reason um, for, for that is that um, if you draw a circle here, uh, so there's a circle, there's a circle, looks a bit better from that angle. Um, we normally, if we define our system in um, software development, uh, we draw a circle around the agile teams, um, but we don't include the customers uh, or the users inside the circle. You know, they're kind of like, um, yeah. The customers feed stuff in, the, the internal customers, I, I mean, the product owners and stuff. They're okay. kind of on, on the periphery of the circle, but we normally define the, the team as being um, agile. But, um, uh, but but if you take the, the situation, which I would say, um, I, I would easily say between 70 and 90% of software development teams, the bottleneck is actually the customer. Um, the customer doesn't have enough time or skill, um, enough capacity to feed really good fuel into the team. Um, it, it's surprising. But when I say this, um, I'm sure people listen when they're listening. When you're listening, uh, someone listening yeah. now is, is going, ah, uh, no, that's not us. Um, but j just think about it. Like, if you had more time from your customer, uh, and they were really good at their job and they could sit down and they could refine their backlog and they could give you absolutely as much time as you like uh, to make sure that you're getting really good inputs um, from them, you know, really high value inputs uh, that are well thought through, um, that aren't going to result in a whole lot of rework or iterating later because there's been some serious thinking um, done up front. Would you deliver more value? And uh, it's some people already have that situation. But most don't. Most are starved of good quality, high value inputs from the team. And the teams tend to just get on with it and keep themselves working on whatever's on the backlog. And, and they just cope. They just go, oh, well, we can't get um, the, the, the head of marketing's time. And she would be really helpful for this. But she's got, you know, she's so busy. Um, we'll just put something in and, 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 and we'll just work off stuff. So, so the, 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 the bit that's missing in, in most teams is the bottleneck actually at the front, if you look at the whole system. Interesting. So you have teams that are basically, I'm not sure this is a familiar term, but garbage in, garbage out. Yeah, um, yeah this, is, this is an old term that's been around yeah, for a long time. I remember, I remember, yeah, yeah. You're old enough. I'm not sure if, yeah, um, yeah. if it's still in, the, in the, the common language, but garbage in, garbage out. But people don't notice it because they're really busy. Um, they're busy working on either low-value stuff or rework um, that's come because of not enough thought was put in to start with, and we call that iterating. 
In the old days, we would call that rework. And rework is good if it's based, if, 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 if it's like learning and adapting and stuff. Okay. But if it could have been prevented, it's really, really expensive way to learn. Yeah. So, so that, that that's the thing. If you imagine, I call this a U-shaped team. Um, and this is the secret. If this is capacity, you want the customers um, who are at the front of the process to have more capacity. So this is, uh, and you want the people who have to absorb the software and release it to have yeah. more capacity. And you want the developers um, to be the deliberate strategic bottleneck. And you want everyone to have um, uh, upstream of them that's feeding them. Um, you want them to have time to think through their work, simplify it, um, give them well thought out, high value stuff. Um, and then after that, you want the testers to have um, plenty of capacity so that they can react quickly uh, and they can give you test feedback uh, quickly. You want users to be able to have simple products that don't overwhelm them because they've been released too often. So, so that's the secret source in the, in, in the course. Um, but the, the hard bit is that it's it, it, that what I've described is how everyone thinks it should work. Um, but in reality, the bottleneck is almost always uh, not where it should be. It's either testing um, or it's, it's the customer. And, and so moving it in, in that direction gets you going up two, four, eight times faster uh, in, in terms of, of um, value delivered because um, you actually slow down. Uh, and can go fast. So that's, that's, that's what the course is. That's awesome. No, that's cool. We, I did a talk a, a long time ago called Building the Wrong Thing Writer. And and, mm. and, so, and, and the concept was is, as soon as people adopted Agile, they got fixated on velocity and then they got fixated on going faster, right? But yep. ask them what you're building and why, and nobody had a clue. It's like, yep. we just got more features. And, and I got into it, I would see teams adjust, and I'm sort of like, well, just shipping stuff faster is not good you know but 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 it was very oriented that was my um what, my critique of agile is hey as long as it's on backlog and prioritize hey we're all good right just keep shipping it and eventually it worked and, out and that's but, it and that's the lazy answer see so that they've adopted yeah. it and the hard bit and i don't mean that it's just it's just really hard as well um yeah. uh, but the, the talk the course teaches you how to um make it a lot easier of course um uh, but um that drive to keep people inside the circle um busy um is is overwhelming and, and you know we have a bias for action in, in agile um and the hardest bit that we have, imagine that circle is um, a moat around uh, around the outside of a castle. Yeah. Customers on the outside, uh, the IT team is, team is in the middle, and there's a little rickety bridge uh, crossing over that uh, boundary, uh, and that's where the customer and the team interact. Um, you just want to make that little rickety bridge a bit stronger um, and a bit wider, uh, and then this strange things will happen. You will slow down. Um, your customers will become engaged a lot more um, and they will get a lot more value out of it. Uh, you'll start, um, effectively, the moat will start to shrink. Uh, you'll start to get closer. And that's what collaboration is about. Um, but it's collaborating between the um, IT team in the middle of the circle, the software people, um, the agile teams, uh, and the outside world. And we've done something which I think is terrible in agile land, which is that we've demonized managers. Um, 
and, and managers, although a lot of people don't realize it, good managers are bridge builders and, and they build that bridge across the moat. Um, and, and that's what gets people um, uh, talking and engaging and actually collaborating as a holistic you know, business unit, not just collaborating inside the team. So you've got me on my um, my hobby yeah. horse here. No, it, it, cool. it, it, it makes me um, really, really, really sad to, to think um, that um, we've got these agile teams, you know, that are really, 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 really working hard and their customers aren't happy with them. Um, and they, the customers say they're slow. Um, and a lot of the time, this is one of those things that's not, um, inherently obvious, but a lot of the time, the reason why teams look slow is because the customers are feeding in work to the teams that will keep them busy, um, but it's not necessarily high work because the customers have got two jobs. Uh, you know, I'm head of marketing and they want me to come and um, uh, work with them for two hours a day. I don't have time for that. Um, so, so it's a bottleneck um, problem, uh, and the customer is is the you know the, the bottleneck, and they keep the teams busy, um, and and the teams just shrug because it's a hard problem to solve, uh, and they work really 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 hard, and, and that's what frustrates me that that gap between uh, customers going oh those agile teams they're so slow, um, and the agile teams going oh we're so fast, uh, but our customers won't engage with us, and that that, that that's a key part of it. Um, yeah. Anyway, there, there you go. I'll, no, no, I'll, I'll calm right. down now. No, this is awesome. When, when I was one of the areas I learned the use theory constraints, I helped the customer got to Kanban, and we went and got all their work that was hidden in Jira systems, and we literally took a whole board and they put all 250 items, created the columns, mm -hmm. and put everything up there. We brought the CEO of the company and we sat him down. His name was um, Bob, and Bob's his real name. So everything was stacked up in front of testing. Like, I mean stacked up in front of testing. They had two mm -hmm. testers. They had 18 developers and two testers. Right? Yep. So I was like, oh, Bob, hiring more engineers is not going to make this whole thing go faster. Like, like you know, mm. like it's going to actually make it worse, you know, because yep. you're just going to pile more up. And it, that was to me how I, when I connected sort of theory constraints, it's like, there's your bottleneck in testing. And so unless you do something to fix that, everything else we're doing is almost irrelevant. Yeah. So if you want to go faster, um, almost always your bottleneck's testing. Almost always. Interesting. Uh, but if you want to go in the right direction, your customer is, is the bottleneck. So if you like to separate those two go um, inside the circle, um, it's th that pattern you've described is so common. In fact, I have that exact pattern. Um, uh, yeah. uh, it's the last story. Um, I can even probably find you if I scroll. <laughs> Is hang on. Can yeah, yeah, you, no, we can see it completely. We can see it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. There, there's uh, your boards, and um, the testing board is full of stuff because they're the bottlenecks that can't keep up. Yeah. So, so if you look inside the circle, um, that the bottleneck is almost always testing, but it needs to be development. Um, and, and Agile is brilliant uh, at, at, at solving that if we're careful. Um, uh, and, and, and treat carefully. You know that's what you know. That's why there's so much emphasis on um, working together, slowing down, um, doing test stuff to start with, um, all, all, all those things. Agile is built for um, getting your developers to be the um, to, to be the bottleneck and increasing your testing capacity, but not necessarily your number of testers. Um, outside the circle, 
the, the one that says, um, are we going in the right direction? Uh, almost always, I would say 70, 80% um, of teams, uh, they've got a customer who doesn't have either the competence um, or the capacity uh, to um, make sure that the backlog is actually in the most commercially um, uh, beneficial order. Yeah, so, so they don't have time to put, put that in more um, better language. Uh, the, the customers, uh, the, the internal customers are often so busy, um, they are putting garbage into the um, uh, the, the, the backlog. And I, I know when people are listening to it, so this is, if you're listening to this now, watching this now, you will deny this and say it's not the case. Just go and have a look. Um, uh, you, you'll find it almost always is. Um, and, and then the problem becomes how to sort that out. But, but the beauty is, um, if you want to go faster, figure out how to increase your testing capacity by getting everyone collaborating. If you want to go faster, uh, so in the right direction, figure out how to increase just a little bit your customer's capacity um, by making it easier, uh, and then you'll go in the right direction. Um, and, it, and it's all around collaborating and working together. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because, you know, when I learned Agile and later Kanban, it was always on more the faster delivery, but it, it didn't really solve the, are we doing the right things? I stumbled upon, you know, Guild and the outcomes. Eventually, I, I got in design thinking and learned how sort of, you know, yeah. I mean, other companies really, and human-centered design is more the generic term of it, but I've, I've grown in their area to learn that we need to involve, you're right, not just customers, but we are users and really get their involvement and input into it before we tee up the bill. Because I tell my customers, building the software is not the most expensive way to solve many problems. Oh, right? it, it is, so why, why, but why the bias for action. Yeah, yeah, you're right. But bias for prototypes or bias for something you can test, not Thinking. bias for writing more code, right? Thinking, yes. that's actually a great point. You know, bias for just critical time thinking. But we certainly here in the West have very much a, a I got to be doing, 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 click, check, check. And they're so busy yep. at times, they don't they don't pay attention to that. So in, in my book, I have three principles um, of uh, bottleneck management. And the third one is that the enemy um, of productivity is, is busyness. And, and, and it's, I mean, once you get it, everyone knows that, but it's, um, it, it's counterintuitive because we are hardwired. I, I call it utilization syndrome, which is actually my, my <laughs> wife works with um, old people. She's a old age psychiatrist, uh -huh. uh, and qu quite often the last thing that maybe will be left in a, a in a person once they I'm not sure that's the right way of putting it, but um, the, the, the left they've lost their memories of of, of who um, who their family are. That they, they really they can't watch TV follow up, but they'll be busy. Um, uh, that they will need to be busy. Uh, and my grandmother, coincidentally, actually, um, she had this, and they used to bring uh, cutlery uh, out to her, and they'd just mess it up in front of her, and she would tidy it, um, you know. Uh, and then once she'd done that, um, very slowly, um, they'd just discreetly um, mess it up again. But um, they call it utilization syndrome, oh. and it's this innate need uh, to be utilized, uh, to, to be busy. The opposite of that, um, it doesn't really have a name, but uh, there's, there's a quote, um, and it's, it's around the, the need to think and, and solve problems. Um, uh, I, I call it the, the Rutherford principle, but um, I have a friend whose surname is Rutherford, and you might think it's named after him, but it's actually <laughs> named after uh, Lord Rutherford, uh, Ernst Rutherford, um, who, who was actually, 
conveniently born here in New Zealand, and he split the um, the the atom. So he was the guy that split oh, the atom okay. uh, in the thirties. Him and his team, um, and they were in Manchester in the UK. And there's this famous quote uh, of his, where basically I think what had happened is that they'd had their their, their funding slashed, mm-hmm. uh, and they were doing all this research. And he walks into this room and he says to his um, his his fellow scientists, gentlemen, we've run out of money, so we're going to have to think. <laughs> I love it. And I think that that encapsulates, you know, just just that little bit. We're going to have to think. It's like, oh no, you know, um, that, that, that's where the cleverness comes from. You know, it's thinking. It, it, um, but we don't. We, we're hardwired, most of us, to to want to act rather than than think. Yeah, what's interesting is you, you remember from the uh, force of the goal, you, you invest in these big, expensive manufacturing machines, and you want to think that the best way is to keep it utilized, right? And so we go to solve. What do you have? Expensive agile team. Engineers are expensive, mm. right? So the same mentality applies that while well, I'm paying them X per hour, I, I, I got to keep them busy, right? You know, but it, it's yeah. exactly what you point out to sometimes keeping them busy isn't really the best way to get that sort of in there. No. And, and the, the example you described with the testers, you know, um, don't hire more developers. Yeah. Hiring more developers isn't going to make you go faster. It's going to um, uh, make it worse. But it's totally and utterly counterintuitive to, to most people. Um, uh, but but uh, when I've given like talks based on this this book and stuff, I almost always get a note back and, and almost says that same thing, um, in that same pattern. Um, hey, look, thank you for that talk. Uh, we were actually just about to recruit more developers, and uh, when we you know realised that, well, um, our bottleneck is actually testing. Uh, this morning we sat down and, and we realised um, that, that uh, we don't need more developers. We either need more testers or we need to figure out how um, to increase our test capacity um, yeah. as a whole team, you know, kind of problem solving exercise. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Like instead of hiring more testers, it could be well, what are developers? How what kind of testing can they do? Right. So there's some that you want mm. independent, you know, independent, but. Yeah, obviously, when you see these, like, how can the people, if you've got excess capacity development team, how can they be helping out? And maybe they're not writing test cases, maybe they're writing frameworks and automation, and, and they're doing things yep. that make the testers more efficient, so it eventually balances out. Yep, that's it. and you want to actually unbalance it um, so that you stop the testers being the, develop, uh, being, being the bottleneck, right? And, but then you lift their capacity up so they become more like the pit crew, um, in a you know car racing, yeah. they're sitting there and they're ready that when there's something to do it, they they pounce on it, they really quickly yeah. and they turn stuff around and 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 part of that time you know while they're waiting um might be prepping stuff so that they can test stuff very quickly, uh and they you know and they so they're using that spare capacity to prepare stuff um and then to pounce on stuff and react very very quickly, um so it's not a waste. But it looks like a waste. But can you imagine um, if uh, Enzo Ferrari had been? Um, I've just recently watched that. Uh, the, the, the Matt Ford Damon. Ferrari? Yeah, the Ford versus yeah. Ferrari. Yeah, yeah, it's good. Uh, that was fantastic. But can you imagine Enzo Ferrari going there? Oh, look down there, those pit crew. They're um, not very busy. Uh, fire one of them. Um, or get them working on five cars at, at, at once. That'll keep them busy. That, you know, that, that's so. Silly and, and obviously silly, but in the office, it's um, 
it's counter, you know, it's just counter to what how we our, our minds work. But we, there's two things. One, everyone needs to be busy. Um, two, uh, you go faster by getting more developers. Yeah. No, and, and I also, you, you may have picked up on DeMarco. I, I was a big fan of DeMarco stuff early, you know, yeah. not, not just people aware, but even later on Slack. And that's the other thing I've learned is you can optimize speed in one direction, but unless you have Slack, you can't turn, right? And so the people have kind of, quote unquote, leaned the Slack out of everything at times, almost to the point of not being able to change direction and do anything because they try to get, I use lean not in the same way, but they've tried to so streamline things. Yep. There's no slack capacity. It's just like the utilization thing you mentioned. They so up the utilization. There's nothing left to sort of turn and pivot yep. as well. Yep, you kind of, um, one of the, uh, actually, I'm not sure if this was, I think this was Goldrat language years and years and years ago, but you, you talk about cutting fat, um, um, but, but it doesn't take much to cut into the muscle. Yeah, you know, so 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 the muscle is actually sitting there, ready to react. Um, that the the, the fat is, um, is is too much capacity, uh, um, but it's, it's just a yeah. You, you need to be able to um, have that wiggle room, and I love the 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 uh, Demarco Slack book. That was just you know one of those fabulous ones. Yeah, they, they just put it was like ah, oh, that's exactly what I've been thinking, but I couldn't put it into it. And that picture on the front of it with the um the little game that. Um, you know, with the, the, I can't remember the front cover. Who was it with the slinky? I, I, I think it had the four before. Um, okay. I think it, no, no, no. They had the slinky on it. Um, in one of them, but I'm pretty sure in the book maybe he had the the four by four game where you had a gap and you could slide tiles around. Um, oh yeah, 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 I remember that. And you can't slide them uh, if there's no gap. Ah, uh, yeah. Now this is cool. So, so what? So, what in your mind is top? Like, what topics are, are, are really top of mind for you uh, these days? What sort of current state? You, you've done so much work in this space. Yeah, I imagine a lot of your work right. is kept people up to where you are. But for you, where, where, where is your eyes? Where, where do you think things are? Oh, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> so, um, I have just in the last six months or so realized that. If people want to get the most benefit out of um, the theory of constraints, we almost always start in the wrong place. We start with the goal. Um, this, this might sound counterintuitive, right? But a lot of people read the goal, or that you know they might read um, my books, they might take the course, um, and they do that stuff, um, and then they go, "Oh, great bottlenecks! I now have all this knowledge in my head about bottlenecks. That's awesome." Great. And then you can walk in and you can see clearly what you need to do. Um, but depending on where you are in the, you know, in the food chain, um, often you don't actually have the skills to actually implement that knowledge. And it becomes very, very frustrating. Um, or like in an agile team, if you're in there, say, and you're a scrum master or an agile coach, Kanban coach, uh, dev lead manager, someone with influence, you might come and go, oh, wow, testing. Hadn't realized that we were going to get more developers. So let's change our tech. You've got influence over there, and that's really cool. But um, if you don't have influence over your whole system, or, or say the bottleneck's actually in a different team, yeah. Um, you know, it, it's it's not Bob, um, but it, it's um, Sue over there. Uh, she's working across three different projects, and we need more of her time because she's you know slowing us down. Uh, if you don't have the the skills 
to fix that, you get really frustrated because you can see exactly what the problem is, but you don't have the skills or authority or influence to, to fix it. So if I was going to, if I could take the theory constraint stuff and hide it away, just vanish it, you know, like in the um, the the, um, the Will Smith movie, you get a bing and everyone's forgotten it and then reintroduce it. I would reintroduce it in a different order. Um, and so uh, I, I would get people um, maybe uh, once they've uh, in their experience to get the bottleneck stuff, but not straight up. I, I would get people to learn two of the thinking, actually three of the thinking tools um, that Goldrick came up with. So one of them is this cause and effect tree, but I wouldn't do that straight away. Um, the the uh, other, other one um, is a is a – it's just a great way. I won't um, explain it, but it's, it's a great way of thinking about how to achieve really hard, ambitious um, uh, ambitions. <laughs> it's, it's ambitions, but um, no, I won't go into it. Uh, but the, 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 the third one um, is where I would start, and it's hidden in Ellie Goldratt's book called It's Not Luck, which was kind of like his second album, um, and not many people have read it. And this was kind of like the – this one didn't even in the book. Um, it was mentioned and there were examples of it, but it didn't even kind of make the um, – to, to be a B-side of a single. Uh, so and it's called The Evaporating Cloud. Uh, and it's sort of hidden away. And for years, when I read this stuff, I go, oh, okay. And I could never get my head around it because it always seemed mystical uh, and, and magical. Uh, but what it does is it helps you um, figure out how to um, solve really gnarly problems y using a problem-solving technique that we all have in our head, but we've not um, um, made it explicit that this is how we solve problems. And, and these problems are where you've got a choice. Uh, and you have to choose between two things that um, are either very good or, or, or very bad. And, it, and we know that is a dilemma. You know, you're on the horns of a dilemma. Um, or I just have a difficult choice. Um, and so, for instance, um, and, and this is, I suppose this is tying in, um, if I mention this now, I call it corkscrew thinking because um, Churchill used this and he called it um, corkscrew thinking. Uh, and I am running, depending on when this comes out, on the 11th, of November, I'm running a um, three free webinars uh, with myself and uh, two um, TOC friends, and, and we were all talking. We realised that there's one thing we could teach people. Uh, it, it will be this, this this process, and it's really really simple. But all you're trying to do um, is if you've got two options, I'll, I'll give you this. So, so we're running this webinar yeah. and we sat down and we decided what's the best time to run this. And um, this is a really basic example. It's not particularly gnarly, easy to solve, but it just illustrates the thing. And, and, and so, you now I've got two choices. Well, on the one hand, it's the morning or the evening. And we go, we look at it and we look at we're, all three of us are in New Zealand. Okay. And um, like us recording this, it's, you know, it's a good time of day that you, you yeah. could – um, uh, listen to us all the way around the world and it works out really well for Europe and for, for, for Britain and you go hey that, that, this is a good time um, we could uh, do it on a New Zealand morning time and you go that's really good and then you look oh hey on the, that gets just a little bit complicated right because on the other hand if we did it in the evening um, it's the same date this might not seem like a weird thing but 
um, I'm not sure what today's date is, 21st of October, where I am, but it's the 20th there. So there's this little complication that if I um, uh, put out this uh, thing saying, hey, look, come along to our webinar, and it's on the 21st of October and the 20th, it's just confusing. And so I was thinking, oh, maybe we should do it in the, in the New Zealand evening, um, uh, because then I can just say, look, it's on the, you know, it's on the 11th, um, and, and it's just so much simpler. So I'm, I'm torn between um, do it in the morning or, or do it in the evening. Um, and this uh, tool, um, because you, you're already thinking um, of, of ways of, of coming around it, but this tool just helps you get little things like that and really gnarly ones. Um, and uh, and go, okay, well, I've got these two options. What do I get out of each of them? And doing it in the morning, what I get out of it um, is, oh, it's much better time for everyone to join in life. Okay, that's cool. Um, doing it in the evening, oh, it's much easier to describe when it is and promotional stuff. Oh, okay, so is there a way that we could do it um, in the morning and describe it more easily? And you just go, oh, yeah, I'll just describe it in London or New York time, and everyone knows how to translate um, from that. Um, but they don't know how to translate it from New Zealand time. So, so that, this would be much better if it was a visual thing. But, but no, what we're no, trying to do is two options that are, are competing with each other, yeah, yeah. Um, and then we try and figure out what we get out of both options, and then we um, try to get the best of both of those um, needs satisfied. So we take two competing options and we invent new options. And it's really clever. It's just so clever. Have you ever heard of the book called The Art of the Possible or Art of the Possibility? Um, I know the book, but it's, I haven't read it's, it. It's, it's, it's a little bit like what you described. It's a theory of the and. So as opposed to saying yes. yep. this or this, it's like, well, what if we looked at an and? So it's like you described it. Like you looked at two options. You picked a little mm -hmm. bit. Maybe if we combine these, the and, there's a lot of power in the and. Yep. Oh. That's exactly so. This has a, a, a um, th this way of thinking has a, a, a long history. Um, Goldratt didn't invent it. What he did is he sat down and he thought about how he came up with clever solutions um, to gnarly problems, and other people didn't seem to be able to. And then he he tried to notice what he was doing, and he, he and he wrote down the steps, and he figured that out, and then he packaged it up. And what um, I've done is I, I've, I've just simplified it uh, and, and I've taken this obscure thing and, and simplified it. But um, Roger L. Martin has a book called The Opposable Mind. Uh, he's uh, at Rotherham University in, uh, I think, in Canada. Uh, but um, some uh, thinking, um, some website that, that, that uh, is about management and thinking voted him the, the world's number one management thinker. He's written lots of books uh, and he describes it, he calls it integrative thinking. Uh, and he notices this, this idea that you get, um, he said, the creme de la creme of, of, of leaders, you know, the very best leaders, what distinguishes from ordinary leaders and everyone else is this ability to take two competing, um, diametrically opposed um, ideas, do it in the morning, do it in the evening, ah, and then synthesize um, new options uh, that allow you to get the best of both worlds. Uh, so he said that he, in his studies, he'd gone out and he had looked at it, um, uh, studied great leaders, you know, this is really big name, um, successful yeah. people, and he said that this is the one thing that consistently um, they all did, uh, and the others only did occasionally. 
Um, so, so I call it corkscrew thinking because um, yeah. Churchill called it corkscrew thinking, uh, and he did it. He actually used this technique, and I've got an example in my next book that's coming out, um, where he uh, helped Britain win World War One uh, using this technique. Um, and uh, yeah, so I, I, it, it's just so clever, and yet it's so easy to learn. Um, it's yeah. just that no one's taught us. Um, we do it instinctively on easy stuff. But when we get to the harder stuff, we find it hard to do that um, and thinking. Yeah, um, Jim Collins, uh, you know, good yeah. to great. Um, uh, he, he, he describes it as the um, the tyranny of awe. I can have this or that versus the genius of and. So um, th yeah. this webinar, if, if anyone's interested and they want to do it, it's, it's hard to describe um, uh, just how easy and how obvious it is um because it, it just really is and we, we we've just taken um this and we've got three sessions um the first one's on the 11th of november and uh london and new york time uh and what what it, um we'll do this uh, so that one kind of just talks about the concept and gets your head around the thing the second one is a week later and a friend of mine Graham Scott's going to kind of like dig in and go, well, okay, now I, I get the idea. How do you do it? Uh, and then the third one, um, another TOC friend, Carl Perry, uh, he uses this stuff in uh, coaching and um, what would you call it? Kind of like he, he works with um, in negotiation situations between oh. unions and um, bosses. Uh, and he does some really heavy hitting stuff, and, and that's the main tool he uses. Um, and, and it's really interesting. Once you get people to um, stop arguing over their positions and identify the the the, 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 the higher level interests that they've all got, that they soon discover that um, they've all got the same interests in common. So, so they just need to change. Well, rather than arguing these positions, um, which are just two options. How about we uh, figure out what new options are, which give us these higher level things? That's awesome. I hope that's not too. It, it, it's just such a really simple tool. It's hard to describe. No, that's um, awesome. And so I think we got this will come out right before then. So we'll make sure that we um, cool. promote that. And I'm going to sign up myself. Um, and see if I get my uh, friends to sign up. Should I say one last thing before we leave and we end all of it? You mentioned B sides. So what are you listening to these days? I'm I'm, I'm interested. Are you a music person? Like what do you, what do you generally listen? Okay. To? For the last 20 years, I have almost exclusively listened only to Bruce Springsteen. Um, <laughs> the boss. You're that much of a boss fan, huh? Yeah, yeah. Except um, it's mostly laziness because I haven't figured out how to work Apple Music. Um, and I get overwhelmed with choice. So I just go, I don't know what to listen to. Uh, play Bruce. Yeah. So I'm really looking forward in a couple of days' time, um, which will, of course, been uh, a little bit in the past when people listen to this. His new album's coming out. Uh, oh, yeah, I heard and Apparently, it's, it, all the reviews have just been um, saying that it's, it, it's amazing. So I can't wait. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Have you ever seen him live? Um, a couple of times, yes. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's exhausting. Down, yeah, yeah, I've seen him live once, and the guy was just three hours nonstop, straight ahead. I was just floored. High energy, and he, like I don't see how he does it. Yeah, well, I was sitting. I remember the, the first time I saw, him, I was sitting there. Oh, I wish he'd finish, but he hasn't <laughs> done this or this or this yet. It was just, it was exhausting, but absolutely, yeah, yeah, That's brilliant. Awesome. So thank That's you, awesome. thank you, America. Yeah, yeah. Listen, I, listen, it's the best thing to come out of New Jersey, I think, ever. And I hope none of my New Jersey friends hit me up for this. But honestly, we think about New Jersey, like we're in New Jersey, but like, oh, the boss. 
I think if they're from New Jersey, they will agree. Exactly. So, Clark, it was a pleasure having you on. I uh, enjoyed our conversation. Enjoyed reconnecting with you. And uh, thanks so much. Um, and we're going to basically make sure we package this thing up and, and share all the links with everybody. And um, let's stay in touch. Cool. Lovely. For you, ask very good questions. <laughs> oh, thanks. Right. Take care, Clark. Thank you.